Welcome to the show, everybody. Today, we are talking about the three essential skills for living with a reactive dog. Okay, there's three main skills. Now, they're over. They're overarching skills. Okay, it's not like name recognition and eye contact. Those skills are important, but these are three essential skills that if you get down right, no matter what you are teaching your dog, if they're reactive, if they're not reactive, if they're overexcited, if they're overly stimulated, these things are going to give you a little bit more of a fighting chance, okay? Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate it. As always, if you find this useful, please share it with friends, family, get the word out there. I'm trying to get as many people as I can to learn what I have learned, have spent years learning, thousands of dollars of college education trying to learn, because I believe that most of the information on the internet when it comes to dog training only gives you 10% of the information that you actually need. So I want to give you as much as I possibly can. And I can't just sit down and give you 24 hours in a webinar or something like that. So I got to give it up in these tiny little chunks, <laughs> podcasts, YouTube videos, social media posts. So I really do appreciate if you share it, if you spread the love, let other people know what we're doing. And without further ado, let's jump into it. The three essential skills for living with a reactive dog. All right. So the three essential skills for living with your reactive dog is one going to be management, fundamentals, and having an exit plan. Okay, super simple. Get those ingrained in your head right now. I'm going to say them over and over again throughout this podcast, but I want you to get it ingrained in your head. Management, fundamentals, and an exit plan. If you have those three and you understand them fully, being in the position where you're uncomfortable and you're stressed and you don't know what you're doing and your dog doesn't know what you're doing and your dog doesn't know what they're doing is going to be a lot easier for you. Management, fundamentals, exit plan. Let's first talk about management. I've talked about management before. I actually went and spent a whole bunch of time talking about it on our recent YouTube video about puppies and Christmas trees, right? So if you have a puppy around a Christmas tree, you need to manage the environment that the puppy is in because they can't manage it themselves. They're going to get excited. They're going to take the tree down. And when you have that kind of situation in that environment, unless you do a lot of training in the beginning, and even then your dog's not going to learn fast enough to not have accidents and problems, you're, you're really going to run into a pickle. So the same thing goes when you have a reactive dog, okay? When you're going for a walk, you got to bring treats with you. You got to have a harness or a special collar on, something that you know isn't going to fail. And I've had this happen so many times. That's why I bring it up. I've had owners say, oh, well, my dog broke the harness. So they broke the collar and they got away. And now it's worse when we go out because the dog thinks they can break it. So they pull even harder. Okay, that's a problem. Now, I'm not suggesting getting specific, quote unquote, training collars, corrective collars, prong collars. What I'm saying is get good quality material that you trust. Me personally, I love leather leashes. A leather leash is not for everybody, but I love leather leashes. If I have a good leather leash, I trust that with my life. Now, we make at Matador Canine, we make leather leashes out of horse reins. The reason I did that is because I wanted a sturdy, thick leash when I was in college. The, uh, what is it called? Tackle shop, which is where they sell sal uh, saddlery and other things for horses. They had the leather there and I had asked, I was like, oh, you know, does anybody use this for something other than horse reins? And they were like, not really. I mean, it's designed for horse reins. And so I took it and I decided to use it for a leash. All my friends who were in the college had very thin leashes and they were flimsy and they didn't feel right, but a rein felt super comfortable. I digress. 
Now that you know about horse reins and being leashes, go look it up on Matador K9. It's absolutely fantastic. But the reason that was so useful is because of how much I trusted the leash and I trust the harnesses and I trust the collars that are on my dog. I trust those things. And you need that if you're going to manage the situation, you're going to manage your dog's training in their environment. That's the first step. You, just, you have to manage things. So let's say you're going for a walk and you don't want your dog to see other dogs because they become reactive. You have to manage where you're going with your dog on a walk. So if that means don't go near the dog park or don't go near Bob's house because Bob's got three dogs, you have to manage what your dog is exposed to. They're exposed to Bob's dogs every single day and they freak out every single day. The only thing that you can change right now until we get through the other fundamentals and the exit plan and training, until we get through those, the management is, okay, I'm not going to put them in the position to practice that bad behavior. Every time I do that, it gets worse and worse and worse. And that's just not what I want to do. So manage where you're going, how you're going. Okay, some dogs are better at different paces. So it could be a duration thing. If you're going past Bob's house and then you know they're going to bark, but they don't bark until you're halfway past the house, maybe you can run past the house and they won't bark. Okay, or vice versa. Maybe slowing them down actually calms their brain down and they're not going to bark as much. It really depends. Maybe crossing the street, you're still passing Bob's house, right? Let's say that's the route you have to go for whatever reason. You're on a dead end or something. You can cross the street to add more distance. You're still close enough to Bob's house, but you're not putting them in a situation where they're going to fail over and over and over again. Dogs don't like failing. They like succeeding. And when they succeed, they repeat it over and over again. Hey guys, I just want to take a moment to thank today's sponsor. Sponsor for today's episode is Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free. And there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. That's where this podcast was made, and maybe that'll be where your podcast will be made. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. So if you're going to keep putting them into a situation where they're going to fail, they're not going to like being in that situation, and they're going to become... I'm sorry, they're going to anticipate this new situation or the same situation that keeps happening every day. Imagine going to work and your boss telling you you're an idiot every single morning, right? You walk in, what's up, idiot? That's just what they say. You're going to hate seeing your boss every single morning. Now, if you, when you, when you, words, oh my goodness. When you go in or when you go in and your dog says, hey, how are you? What's going on? How was the weekend? Oh, that's wonderful. That's great. I'm so excited. All right. Well, we're going to have a meeting in about 20 minutes. Do you mind just getting... Right? So that's a lot more inviting. It's a lot more energizing. It makes you feel good. It makes you feel like you were listened to. Now, you love seeing your boss on Monday morning, even though you might not have had a good morning. But the difference there is exactly what happens with our dog. So if they're starting to anticipate something that's negative, oh, man, these dogs are going to bark at me, so I'm going to bark at them first. Or they anticipating, ooh, we get to the house and I look up at mom and I get something good. And I just, I do that over and over and over. So management, you have to control the distance and the duration and the level of distraction 
to whatever your dog is reactive to, right? Do, can you get further away? Can you get through it faster? Do you have to slow down? All of those variables are going to play a role in your dog's success. They're, they're all going to play a role. So you kind of have to think about them all at the same time. That's why it's an overarching essential skill. Manage the environment. Manage your training situations. Okay, so all the training that you're doing. You should not be going to the dog park and trying to work on your dog's reactivity at the dog park. That would be foolish unless you are at the time in your training where that's acceptable. Okay, if your dog is at that level, great, boom, awesome, love it. If your dog is not at that level, don't put them at that level. Now, this is what I see all the time, okay? And I'm going to go off on a, a tiny tangent here. <laughs> Bear with me. I know, <laughs> I know I go on tangents a lot. Bear with me, okay? I see this way too often. We've talked about in other podcasts, there's teaching, training, and testing or proofing. The last one always gets muddled. It's either testing, proofing, generalization, depending on who you ask. The reason I don't like testing, although I will use it, is because it is a very tiny portion of the training process as a whole. So the teaching is probably the biggest part. Okay, I don't know what percentage. Maybe I should do a study and find out what percentage of teaching is actually in the training process. We have teaching. Then the next biggest chunk is going to be training. And the last little bit is testing. Can your dog do it under these circumstances, under these situations, with or without treats, with or without you sometimes, right? So that teaching, I'm sorry, that testing is competitions, is real life, right? Your dog accidentally runs out of the house and you test the recall because there's, there was no training set up to begin with. You were not in control of this scenario, just like a competition. You're not, in, you're not in control of the scenario. You're only in control of everything that led up to this scenario. But what bothers me the most is, and everybody does this. I used to do this. My classmates used to do it in college. My uh, coworkers used to do it. We all test everything. We, we, we just have to know where we're at in the training cycle, and so we push it. Everybody does it. I used to do it. I still do it sometimes. I constantly catch myself. I'm like, nope, nope. You got to stay, stay the course. Get back onto the, the training regimen or the teaching regimen. Sometimes we completely jump. But we test things to see where we're at. So if you spent a week training your dog at 100 feet away from another dog, you spent an entire week doing it. You're like, okay, my dog is fantastic. They're great. And randomly, you don't have treats, you don't have toys, you haven't warmed their brain up in the training mindset. You just spring a dog on them at 20 feet because you're testing them. You're like, oh, man, well, they did great at 100 feet. Can they do 20 feet? I, I just have to know. And they fail. You've now set up 20 feet to always be failing. And that's awful. I, I don't want that for you. Now, the other side of that is when, and in some cases, you hire a trainer, they come to your house, they say, okay, we need to know where we're at. We need to know where we're at so that we can start growing. That's fine. Of course, within reason, a trainer should not need to have your dog blow up to know that they're going to be reactive if we got any closer. So I see on YouTube and Instagram and TikTok and all those social media platforms, because they perform really well. Trainers will have dogs freak out. They freak out. They, wah, 
and then they bring the dog back down. But it's just reviewed. It's just to get your attention. And in the end, they end up having to punish the dog to suppress that excitement and reactivity so that they can try to get any progress within a reasonable amount of time because they just set the dog up to fail. Do you understand what I'm saying? They set the dog up to fail just so that they can suppress it as fast as possible and get views on TV or YouTube or whatever it is. Revolting. Absolutely disgusting. That's my rant. But you don't want to test your dog all the time. I'm going to say less than 10% of the time should your dog ever be tested. Training is that huge chunk. The distraction work, the distance, the duration. But the test is when you just go in blindly and you don't care what happens. You just go for a walk without treats. That's testing your dog. Oh, well, I wanted to see if they could do it. How long have you been training? Oh, about two weeks. It's not time yet. It's just not. And really, a test, even if it comes as a surprise, shouldn't be a surprise because you're never taken off guard. I'll put it to you this way. My first dog ever, Breezy, she's now eight or nine years old, eight years old. She just turned eight. Happy birthday, Breezy. I don't think I said that on the podcast last time. Happy birthday, Breezy. Um, she's a black lab, beautiful dog, very powerful legs. She is a fast sprinter. Fast. I mean, if, if I ever did fast cat with her, if she wasn't as nervous as she is, fast. She would be a wonderful, wonderful competition dog. So one day I had gone out the front door and the screen door behind me kind of stayed open because it was a windy day. Now, this never happened before. Never happened. So this did throw me off guard. However, as I just stated, if you do training really, really well, it never really throws you off guard. What threw me off guard was that Breezy ran out the front door. She had never done that before because she was scared of the front door because in the wind, sometimes the screen door would slam and she's a nervous dog. But I digress. She ran out the front door, full sprint, chasing after a stray cat. Now, never, ever up until that point, this was before I went to college to train dogs. This was just training I had done at home. Never had she been trained not to chase after a cat. We had never worked on tug. We had never tried to do high excitement training. I just, I didn't know about it at the time. We just taught a very simple recall. Now, she ran outside the house chasing after this cat. I noticed she running as she got to the sidewalk. I noticed she sprinting down the sidewalk after this cat. All I said was, Breezy, come. She, I kid you not, skidded on the sidewalk. Skidded. Turned around, came right to me, and sat down. That's a test. That is a test of all the training and teaching that we had done up until that point. I didn't have a treat. I didn't have a leash. Nothing to keep her accountable. If I was going to use an e-collar, there was no e-collar on her to stop her from chasing after. There was nothing Nothing that I could have done differently in that situation than to trust all the training that had gone up until this point. That was a true test. When you are managing your dog's reactivity, you do not want to test it. You just don't. You should know 100% whether your dog is going to fail or succeed. What do I mean by that? One, if you know they're going to fail, you shouldn't do it. But if you know they're going to succeed, great. Then you push it just a little bit. So if we're working on distance and it's 100 feet from the 
target, the trigger, the reactive stimulus, we're 100 feet, and our dog is doing exceptionally well. And we want to go to 99 feet or 98 feet, whatever it is, whatever increments you're going by. If you can tell, you're like, okay, my dog's in a really good mindset. I can go to 95 feet and they'll be fine. And you go to 95 feet, you should be confident that they're going to be fine. Okay. Now, if you go from 100 feet to 50 feet and you're like, mm, I don't know. And of course, this takes time to get used to and you have to be able to read your dog and understand how they're feeling in that moment. But the amount of training that you do will work out that mental muscle that helps you recognize when your dog is going to be successful or failure. Now, what I don't like about some training styles is they push the dog right to the point of failure, either past the point of no return or right to the edge. And then they reward the dog for doing well on the edge and then coming back down. Is this an efficient way to train a dog? Possibly, depending on who's doing it, depending on the situation, depending on how much control and management you have over the situation, right? If you can't control the situation, this is the worst way to do it because at any point, your dog's threshold could be broken. They could go past threshold. They've gone through the roof. And what I used to say was they'd go through the roof and now they're in space. You can't, you can't get a hold of them. They've gone to the moon. They are absolutely out of the atmosphere. You can't get them. If they were up in the attic, you could call them into the living room because they can hear you. But if they're on the moon, they can't hear you. So if you're going to do that, you have to be careful of where your dog's threshold is. And through exercises and practice, you're going to understand where your dog's threshold is a lot better than just an average person. But you don't want to push them past threshold. And if you do, if, if you're a person who just cannot resist, 90% of the time needs to be under threshold. That means if you're doing 100 reps, 90 reps should be under threshold just to build a high rate of reinforcement. You're building your dog's confidence in what they should be doing around this stimulus, around these triggers. And for whatever reason, you think it's necessary to test your dog for the last 10 reps. I'm not sure why, but people do it constantly. So that's management. Okay, I don't want to go too far into management I want to make sure that we get through the fundamentals and the exit plan. I could probably do an entire podcast just on management, but I'll save that for another episode. So let's jump into the fundamentals. What are the fundamentals? Depending on what you're doing will determine what the fundamentals are. Okay. So if we're talking about puppies being reactive because they're excited to see people, then our fundamentals is going to be obedience and focus. Most of the time, the fundamentals are obedience and focus. But it determines, I'm sorry, what changes is whether you focus more on obedience or more on focus. Focus is having your dog look at you, respond to their name, and what's called self-redirection. Obedience is sit, down, place, stay, come, heel, or loose leash walking, right? That's obedience. So let's first talk about the focus as fundamentals. Your dog's reacting to people because they're excited. You would want them, one, to understand what their name is. So you can say their name and get their attention. Number two, they definitely need to know what the clicker is. I'm sorry, that should be first. They, they need to have a conditioned reinforcer, the clicker, the marker, your yes word. Although if you've listened to my podcast, you know I like the clicker over the word yes. So they need that. They need their name. So you can say their name, get their attention, have them turn around. 
they need to understand what self-redirecting is. Now, this kind of happens at the same time as you're working on reactivity. This means they see something that's interesting, and instead of staring at it, they choose to look towards you. The more you do this, the better your dog gets at it. They see something interesting, they turn towards you. My dogs do it constantly. We go to the front door. They look at the door, they look at me, I mark a reward for them looking at me. They look at the leash, they look at me, I mark a reward for them looking at me. They look at their food bowl, they look at me. You get the point. It goes on and on and on. What they're learning is looking at me is the key to get all of these things. Going outside, put the leash on, get water, get food, play with the other dog, go to the dog park, get in the car, play with a toy. All of those things come from looking at me first. So that also stems into eye contact. Now, I don't say eye contact. I don't say look at me. It's just a version of self-redirection and name recognition that we build upon. Name recognition, I say their name, they turn towards me. Self-redirection, I don't say their name, but an external stimulus prompts them to look at me. And then eye contact is building the duration of both of those things. Eye contact is building the duration of both of those things. Name recognition, self-redirection. I'm just asking for a longer period of time that they have to look into my eyes. They can't look at the trigger if they're looking at me. They can get excited with their little sixth sense where they know where things are about them, like Daredevil. Okay? But really, they can't look at anything else if they're looking at me. That's focus. Now, on the other side, we have that obedience. That's sit, down, place, stay, come, heal. All of those should be taught regardless of whether you need them in a reactive case or not. But they should be taught just in general to give your dog an understanding of how to learn, how to earn reinforcement, right? What are the default behaviors? And I've seen this happen over and over and over again where a dog doesn't know what to do. We do a couple sessions of obedience and now the dog starts sitting all the time or laying down all the time because they've learned some kind of way to communicate with you. Well, this is what I want. And if I do the thing that we practiced last training session, I'll get the thing that I want. Instead of jumping up, mouthing, barking, spinning, running around like a banshee. All of those things are just natural behaviors that a dog knows. So instead, we're giving them different skills so that they can try those skills as opposed to the skills that they come with. <laughs> the default skills, if you will. So you got to work on the fundamentals and you got to work on focus and obedience in those fundamentals. If you have those down, when you go into a reactivity training session, you can always fall back onto those. Oh, my dog's starting to react. I can say their name, get them to turn back me. Now that they're looking at me, I can tell them to sit. I can tell them to down. I can tell them to roll over. You might even want to add tricks into there just to keep your dog's mind a little more busy. Now, once you have your dog's attention on you, or if your dog is absolutely losing their mind, you have to have an exit plan. And that was number three. The exit plan is what do you do when everything goes to hell and there's something you couldn't have accounted for in a training session, your dog's flipping out, everything's being crazy and absolutely ridiculous, what do you do? You have to have an exit plan. What I used to tell people, or I still tell people this, go to the park, put your dog in the trunk, have a leash on your dog already. Already have a leash on your dog. Try to open up the trunk, grab the leash, and sit in the trunk with your dog at the park or, you know, whether it's a dog park or a people park, <laughs> a people park. Imagine there was a dog park 
styled just for people. People just want, I guess that's kind of like a, a playground. But it's not fenced in and we don't have poop bags. Anyway, my, my imagination was going towards a park where people you know walk around and there's poop bags everywhere, which makes no sense. And a water ball, maybe a pool, <laughs> a little Jody course. But I guess it's just a playground. So anyway, anyway, when you get to the park and you're in the trunk and you open up the trunk and you're sitting with your dog, you're just doing training. Just self-redirection, name recognition. You can try to do obedience in the trunk, although it might be tight depending on the trunk that you have. I have a cross trek, so I have a nice wide trunk. So that's what I'm envisioning. But if you have a sedan, maybe you just sit in the front seat. Maybe you sit in the back seat. Whatever you have to do, get your dog into a position where if they're panicking, if they're freaking out, if they're reacting too much, you can simply close the doors and drive away. That's your exit plan. And in some cases, this is going to be the easiest exit plan you've ever had. All you got to do is close the door or roll up the window and you have the leash. So hopefully your dog doesn't jump out of the window or the car, but you can just close all the doors and drive away. Now, if you're on a walk, I would not do a far walk. The old adage of, okay, we're going to go on a nice long walk to burn the dog's energy. Most of the time, people end up doing that for dogs that don't need one 45 minute walk. They need three 30-minute exercise sessions. Okay, there's a difference there. That's an hour and a half versus 45 minutes, but an hour and a half three times is only 30 minutes. Some dogs need to run all day long. Border collies, herding dogs, working lines need to be worked all day long. Your 45-minute walk is not going to help. So don't think, okay, I need to go for a 45-minute walk, which means I need to go a certain number of miles one way and then turn around and come a certain mile, a certain amount of miles back. I'd much rather have you do 45 minutes in front of your house, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth to have a really clean exit strategy. You can just boom, go right in. Now, what happens if you go for a nice walk or you live in the city and you know, you can't necessarily just go right home or get into the car, have other backup plans. This might be getting behind a car. This might be turning the corner quickly. This might be just turning around and walking as far away as you can, as fast as you can. Have an idea in your brain so that you don't freeze up. If you freeze up, your dog has a longer amount of time that they get to practice this bad behavior, and that's exactly what we're trying to prevent. We want our dog to stop doing the bad behavior so that we can move on and do something productive. So that's it. Those are your three essential skills for living with a reactive dog. Management the fundamentals, and having an exit plan. If you have those three essential skills in place, if you have those in place, all of your training sessions should be a lot smoother. If you don't have those things in place, you're going to run into problems. If you don't have a management plan, every training session is going to be a failure and you're going to get discouraged and you're not going to work with your dog, which means you're never going to see the progress that was promised to you by whether a trainer or it's me through this podcast telling you what to do. Okay, You have to be honest with yourself and realize, am I managing the situations or am I just kind of winging it and going through training because that's what I was told to do. If you don't do the fundamentals and the training before you get into your reactivity training, you don't have things to fall back on and your dog doesn't understand the right skills in order to thrive in these environments. Right? If your dog doesn't know how to sit still for 30 seconds without a reactive stimulus, there's no way they're going to do it with a reactive stimulus. In that case, right, you should be able to do three minutes of your dog laying down or sitting, and then that's going to translate to 10 seconds around this trigger. But at least it's 10 seconds you didn't have before. 
So strengthening your obedience and your focus work is going to make it so much easier when you're in those high-level environments. And finally, the exit plan. If you are stressed, if your dog is stressed, having an exit plan at least gets you out so that your dog doesn't continue practicing the bad behavior and you can calm down. Nothing is worse than holding on to a dog that is losing their mind. You're losing your mind internally, freaking out. You don't know what to do. You don't know if the situation is about to get worse because the harness might break or the collar might break or the other dog might be off leash. You have no idea what to do. And not having a backup plan just makes you freeze or do something that is irrational, like picking up your dog and chucking it or kicking the other dog because you're just afraid, right? You need to have an exit plan so that you can quickly and efficiently get out of that dangerous situation depending on what you're training and what you're working with, okay? Management, fundamentals, exit plan. Management, fundamentals, exit plan. Management, fundamentals, exit plan. Practice it. Get it ingrained in your head. Tattoo it on your forehead so you can see it in the mirror every day. Management, fundamentals, exit plan. Good luck. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it as always. And I'll see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to the episode. I hope that you found at least a tiny nugget of value, if not the entire podcast of value today. So I really want to thank you for listening in. We are going to have a book coming out February 5th, 2022. It's called the Cheat Codes book. I'm going to put the link in the description. Please, if you are interested, sign up now so I know how many books to print so I can send them out to everybody. Um, If you're not interested in it, that's fine. I totally get it. You don't even know what's in it yet. Stay tuned. Social media. I'm going to be posting a whole bunch about it as we get sooner to the launch date, which is February 5th, the Dog Training Cheat Codes book. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you guys in the next episode.